Welcome back. Hey. To Killer Queens. <laughs> In case you're wondering where you are right now. Yep, you're at Killer Queens. You just accidentally hit the button and didn't mean to be here. Yeah, sometimes that happens. It's happened to me. Yeah. I've accidentally recorded myself for 25 minutes. Mm. I've accidentally not recorded us for 25 minutes. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> you were very gracious with me. I you like, like to, It's okay. I'm... I'm a giver. I'm a charity worker. <laughs> it's fine. Um, so we're not good at intros. So this is this is this. And uh, if you've never been here before, welcome for the first time. And if you have, then just welcome on back. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So today we're going to be doing the case of Zach Bowen and Addie Hall. A special thanks to Olivia for researching and writing the case. Uh, to Brittany Buell. Tierra Heron, I am not sure if I'm saying that right, and Melissa Kabick for requesting the case. Thanks, girls. We love you. Yeah, we love you. Before we jump in, just to remind you, the Patreon is lit, fam. <laughs> oh my god! I'm trying to come up with all these hip ways to describe it. The fact that you just said hip. Ways. I know. I know. I know. <laughs> I know. That's who I am now. I just realized also the other day that I have my own mom sayings, one of them being, know what I mean, jelly bean. <laughs> yeah. I've never said that before I had kids, and now I say it all the time. Yeah, so, we know what you mean, jelly bean. Exactly. <laughs> so get on over to the Patreon if you want more episodes. Uh, if you're at the $10 level, you get three episodes per week-ish, depending on how fast you listen to stuff. Right. You could have three in one day if you... Yeah. 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 You get the mixtape, we're doing documentary series, we're finishing up Confession Killer this week, and then next we're doing Who Killed Little Gregory. Tough stuff. Tough but stuff. interesting and worth talking about, so. Yeah. So check it out. If you want to listen to him, get your sweet little fanny over there and. Yeah. yeah. Or if you're in Ireland, sorry, I said fanny. They don't like that. Well, it's slang apparently for see you next Tuesday. Oh, I know. Really? But here it's like what old ladies call your booty, like your tuchus. Yeah. So what do they the call keister. a fanny pack? They call it a bum bag, I think. A bum bag. Do they wear it on the back, not the front? I think you're supposed to wear it on the back and not the front. Oh, fanny pack. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. All right. Well, um, you know, check out the Patreon. It's super cool. Know what I mean, Jelly Bean? Oh, God. It's very lit, fam. <laughs> okay, let's get into it. Let's... It's so fun. Okay. <laughs> all right. Um, all right. So the case. At around 8.30 p.m. on October 17, 2006, police were dispatched to the Omni Royal, which was a four-star hotel in the French Quarter of New Orleans. You've been to the French Quarter, right? Sure have. Twice. Mm. Mm. Twice. Twice. Never been myself. Oh, it's real smelly. Mm -hmm. It's fun, but very smelly. And you see things that you would never, ever see in the daytime or on a random Tuesday. Like, mm. it's just insane. Like a woman walking around in a complete fishnet, um, let's call it jumpsuit, with just everything hanging out, fanny okay. and everything. Sure. Um. And you're like, oh, okay. both fannies, both fannies. OK, what's going on there? It's just four o'clock on a on a Monday night. There you go. Well, it's not night, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Four. Well, to us, it's four o'clock on a Monday night. <laughs> right. That's night to Who's me. Who's calling me at 7 p.m. at this hour? 
Exactly. Yeah. It's shit is crazy. Yeah. Sure. But very fun. I'm sure. Daiquiris all over the place. Get you a hurricane. Take it to go. Take it to go. It's very fun. The drive through daiquiri place. Well, quit having fun in New Orleans because this is not a good scene. But I did that to you. You yeah, didn't you, know. You, you didn't know. You set me up for it. <laughs> Look I at what like you did. In an insensitive little asshole. Yeah, now you're a Q-hole. So there they found the body of a 28-year-old man who had apparently jumped from the rooftop bar of the hotel and fell to his death on the parking garage rooftop below. Yeah, so like 60, 70 feet, I think they said. Ooh. And he died on impact. Um, as police began to investigate, a note inside a Ziploc bag was found in his back pocket, and it read in part, this is not accidental. The police did also find military dog tags in his pocket, which identified him as Zachary Bowen. And what police didn't know at that time was that Zach's girlfriend, Addie Hall, had not been heard from in about two weeks. So at this point, they have to figure out what happened to Zach and where was Addie. So how we operate and function is, okay, we got dead body, right? Mm -hmm. A note that says this is not an accident. Mm -hmm. And a missing girlfriend. Hmm. Who could have done this? Right. Hmm. Hmm. I'm doing a lot of like, hmm. Um, With your face. Yeah. And your and hands. Like, hmm. 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 Y'all can't see this. You can't see it. We'll Just... do a photo shoot. We'll, we'll show you. <laughs> okay. Um, you can see how curious I am. But it also kind of, um, Chrissy Teigen posted something on her Instagram like a super long time ago. Or Twitter. I don't know what the fuck she uses. Um, <laughs> she uses it all, I think. Oh, okay. She's good at all the things. So, but she posted a thing that said that if, that she carries a note in her pocket at all times that says John did it, just in case something happens to her. That's actually really smart. I know. I was like, that's, she's so funny. But she she's also like super so into true crime. She could pull off, it's lit fam. Oh. She could pull it off. Oh, all right. all right. I'm no Chrissy Teigen. I get it. Clearly. Yeah. So, Hillary Duff style. Let's go back. Ugh. Back to the beginning. Stop doing this to Twice me. Twice this week. I know. It's great. Okay. Zachary Bowen was a California native who was described as shy, but loved to joke around and listen to metal music. His parents divorced when he was a teenager. And after that, he lived with his mother. But right before he turned 18, he took a long road trip across several states to visit quote-unquote, party places with his father. With his father? Mm-hmm. Not what I was expecting. Me either. And they both come from not great backgrounds, I would say. Like, I feel like when you're 18, I don't know. I He's legal, technically, but not to drink and stuff, so yeah, you know he's drinking. Unless he was going on this road trip in, like, Europe. Where you could drink, the legal drinking age is 18. Right. Yeah. But not here. And with his dad, I'm like... Some people do that kind of stuff. Yeah. It's weird. So, they're visiting party places. They ended up in New Orleans for their last stop. And Zach was like, this is where I want to be. He decided to drop out of school and live there permanently. And his father lived there, too. He started bartending in the French Quarter. And he met 28-year-old... It's either Lana or Lana Shupak. Shupak. I'm going to get both of them wrong. Let's decide now. Is it Lana or Lana? I say Lana. Okay. It's really fun, though, every time there's a new name to just Fuck watch the dumpster fire that is you trying to <laughs> <laughs> say it correctly. I'm like, I know. Okay. All right. We're going to go with Lana. 
She worked as an exotic dancer in Dallas, Texas, but she traveled around to dance at other clubs. So she was in New Orleans on vacation with her friends and she met Zach out because he was bartending and they struck up a conversation. Um, Zach was immediately drawn to her. She liked him too, but I don't know if she was super like looking for something super serious at first. So she goes back to Texas home and he kept pursuing a relationship with her. He wanted to get with her. So she finally moved back to New Orleans. Well, when she moves back to New Orleans, she finds out Zach's 18 years old. Ooh. And she's like, excuse me? You're a bitty baby. Yeah, I was totally unaware of this. Guys, facial hair really can throw you for a loop. Carla knows from personal experience. I know. My husband, he was 19. He was 19 when we met. And I just assumed he was my age, which was 22, because he had a full beard. And at certain times in your life, three years, or in her case, eight years, can be a big difference. No, her case, 10 years, 28-year-old when they met. Oh, she was 28. I'm so sorry. I thought you said 26. But yeah, it's, that's a big, that's a huge difference. That's a big difference. Yeah. That's a huge difference. That's, it's not so big or vast when you get older, but at that time, I mean, my gosh. Yeah. I mean, even when I met Andrew and he was 19 and I was 22, I was like, you can't even go drinking. Like, that feels like a big difference to me. You'd make a hell of a DD, though. (laughs) Yeah, Andrew, a DD. (laughs) I'm just saying. Yeah, so she wasn't happy about that. Um, She definitely felt like... She was uh, bamboozled? A little bit, except that she was already pregnant. Oh, shit. Yeah, so she kind of... I think she felt tricked or stuck, you know, kind of like, well, fuck, Catherine Zeta-Jones. It was entrapment. (laughs) Entrapment, exactly. So, Zach, when he found out that Lana was pregnant, he wasn't real excited about it. He wasn't ready. He's 18. Right. So, he kind of, I think they were still kind of together, but it was, it seemed kind of off and on almost, or, um, or maybe mostly off, because when she had the baby she didn't even tell him for a couple weeks that the baby was born so like they were in not in contact enough that he wasn't aware until she told him a couple weeks later that she'd had the baby and for all of his not being ready to be a father and not really being super interested I mean he did he did say that he wanted to at least try to do the right thing and like help out even though he wasn't super excited about it but then once he had he saw the baby he fell in love so That's what you always hope for. I don't know. I mean, I can't say from personal experience being a mom or a dad, but I know that bond, a lot of moms say that that's there as soon as you feel the baby kick even. With dads, they don't have that. And so for him to step up, being as young as he was, yeah, and really fall in love with his baby mm-hmm. is really a really beautiful thing. Yeah. Yeah. Because you, you look at that child and you're like, that's, you hope it's the best parts of you. Like, you know. And you're sharing that with somebody else. A lot of people, even if they're like having trouble in their relationship, like a lot of times when you hold your baby for the first time and you're experiencing that together, like a lot of people are like, you know, I fell in love all over again and like all that kind of stuff. You get to see this whole other side. A lot of times I think for men, you get to see a nurturing side that maybe you didn't get to see before. For sure. Um, And yeah. And their, their first baby was a son named Jackson. And he was like, I want to be the best father I can be. I want to support my family. So he got multiple jobs. He was like working super hard. 
and he moved them into an apartment in uptown New Orleans, which was a super nice area. Um, Olivia says it's a charming area that has a small town feel and is close to the nice universities. So Olivia that wrote this lives in Louisiana, so she's familiar with a lot of the areas here. In October 1998, when their son was about a year old, Lana and Zach got married in a beautiful wedding in Jackson Square with tourists looking on, which would make me super nerve-wracked, but they made it work. (laughs) I would be super scared. Uh, Shortly before the wedding, they found out they were expecting their second child, and their daughter Lily was born on June 12, 1999, and Zach wanted to work even harder to provide for his family. The next year, he got his GED, and following in his brother and grandfather's footsteps, he enlisted in the Army for an eight-year term. He was known by his military friends as someone with a bright personality who was very well-respected, loved to play guitar and drums, and sling drinks for his army buddies. So that's one thing about Zach that, like, everybody who knew him talked about this, like, big, bright personality. He liked to joke around. He he had a, a magnetic kind of personality. But he joined the army to take care of his family. And that is... Really, really amazing because being as young as he as he was at the time, he really stepped up and had all of these jobs and just really like he saw what he needed to how he needed to be responsible and he really he went for it. Yeah, he went for it. Yeah, he. I'm proud of him. Is what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Because there there's plenty of people that wouldn't do that. Well, moms or dads, they crumble under the weight of that responsibility. Yep. Yeah. And Zach really didn't and i'm i'm just proud of him at first he didn't okay okay (laughs) well but here's what happened so he's in the army this is early 2000s right right because his baby the lily was born 99 yes yes so he started you know having to serve like tougher tours he started getting deployed um and in the summer of 2001 this is under bush Correct, Amundo? Yeah. Okay. Um, in the summer of 2001, he went home to New Orleans to recover from a toe surgery. I'm not really sure what happened, but he had a surgery on his toe. Okay. If it was his big toe, that's serious business. You or your pinky. True. Right? Either think, one throws off your balance. I've heard like you cannot walk if you don't have a big toe. That's what I've heard too. Right? It's very important. Um. So he had a toe surgery, and during that time, he completed the necessary paperwork to get his family to go live with him on base in Germany. So he was stationed in Germany, so he wanted them to move with him. So they all moved to Germany, and Lana had a hard time adjusting and finding friends. So, you know, back in the States, she'd been working as a dancer. Mm -hmm. While at some point during his deployment or when he was stationed in Germany, she had sent him pictures, which he then showed his army buddies of her as a dancer yeah and then his army buddies told their wives oh no zach's wife is a stripper and now they're like ooh, and they didn't want anything to do with her yeah Uh, why would i mean hopefully it was just zach was like i'm so proud of my wife let me show her off or something but yeah i wish he hadn't shared that no because it's really nobody else's business it's nobody else's business and you have to know unfortunately there are certain professions and there are certain uh careers there are certain hobbies that people judge the shit out of you for and and women cannot be 
they cannot look at another woman and be like, wow, good for her. Yeah, right. Good for her that she's like confident enough. Yeah, in her she's body. got it going on. Yeah. They're bitter and jealous, and they have to tear that person down or shun them to feel better about themselves. Exactly. Yeah. And it's like she's married to Zach. She's not. Like, what do you think is going to happen? It's ridiculous. It well, sucks to just, that, like, shut somebody out. Well, yeah, and I would, I don't know, maybe this is immature of me, but I would feel kind of betrayed by Zach to be like, really? You? Oh, I would, too. Yeah, you yeah. shared this, and now I'm on the outside looking like I have no one now. Yeah, That's exactly. so terrible. Yeah, kind of sucks. I mean, and I think that kind of shows you his immaturity level, too. Mm-hmm. That's his wife. You know, there are things that should stay between the two of you. She didn't send that to you for you to show everybody. Right. She sent that to you for you. At the same time, though, I do feel like, I mean, we can talk about both sides of that coin. The unfortunate fact is in society, people are going to judge you for things. But I don't think that she should feel bad about her profession. She should be proud of it. It just sucks. You know, it's very like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, it's not to say that she wouldn't have told anybody that's what she did if she talked to them, you know? But it's just maybe that was in that way for her to decide. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And, like, military life can be so lonely, you know? All you're, by itself. Yeah, you're that. there trying to take care of your kids. Your husband is busy so much. Yeah. Or deployed or whatever. And it's like you need that community. And if you don't have that i mean i can see why she wasn't happy there for sure all of the people that she should have been bonding with and they should have like come together to help each other through that time they had all shunned her and had this preconceived notion of her and so right yeah not cool so even though that wasn't going well um the kids really like going to school in germany and they got to do a lot of traveling in europe as a family so they at least got some opportunities they wouldn't have had Maybe otherwise, you know, it's super hard to take your entire family to travel in Germany when you've got young kids or Europe. Like, that would be really hard. So they definitely had a good time doing that kind of stuff. Um, But in 2002, Zach was deployed to fight the war in Iraq following the 9-11 terrorist attacks. So shit gets wild there. I mean, that's that was just a horrible time. Well, it changed the world as we know it. Everything changed. Everything. And Zach had a really hard time just with everything that he saw. And I mean, that's a tale as old as time. PTSD, the things that they have to witness, the things that they have to do. Well, and I can't imagine having to experience something like that. I mean, that is noble and brave. But then having to live life normally and just slip back into like a civilian's lifestyle. I don't understand how that's possible. Even like, so... My friend, her husband is in the military and he's he doesn't like he doesn't have to go to like combat zones or whatever. But even when he comes back from a deployment that he's on. She's like, it takes some time to get used to that. Just going back to this life that we have here where he is used to being on a submarine or whatever for six months, you know, or like just being deployed and being able to go out with the guys for drinks after work and not having to worry about you don't have to necessarily you're a father wherever you go and a husband wherever you go but it's not necessarily you're not in that routine anymore it takes a long time and she's like you know we have i i do things a certain way to get by you know i have to i'm used to taking care of everything it's it's hard to just readjust every time she's like even if he's gone two weeks we have to readjust imagine coming back from combat 
and having to readjust. I like, cannot even imagine. Yeah, I can't. It's that's really hard. Hey y'all, this is Torella. I have some super exciting news to share with you really quickly. Us true crime lovers probably look at history a little bit differently than most other people. Important dates that most people tend to remember are birthdays, anniversaries, holidays, but the Podcast Network remembers important dates in true crime history. And the podcast today in true crime is the new daily podcast from Parcast that takes you back to the most significant events in true crime that happened each day in history. And I am so excited to tell you that I guest hosted an episode on Wednesday, March the 4th. Parcast has been a pioneer in the podcast space and there hasn't been a daily true crime show like this before. And I'm so excited to have the opportunity to guest host. Be sure to follow Today in True Crime Now on Spotify so you never run out of true crime content again. Don't forget to catch me as the guest host on Wednesday, March the 4th. That's Today in True Crime. See you there. Do you, side note, sorry, do you remember, I I mean, I remember it vividly, September 11th. Mm -hmm. What was it like for you? Because we were young. We were. I was in 10th grade. And I remember I was in French class and I remember they had the news on and you saw the planes hitting and the girl sitting next to me was like, we're under attack. America is under attack. And I was like, what does that mean? No, we're not. Yeah. A plane crashed. I didn't understand. I mean, I was 15, 16. Like, I didn't get it. I had no idea that that moment would change everything. Right. I mean, same. I was... This is, my geek is going to show quite a bit after I tell you this. Um, I was in band class. I was going to say you had to have been in band. I was in band, (laughs) yes. I took band to get out of PE, and that says a lot about me as a person and even now, um, because, ew, I do not want to work out. Yeah, But, yeah, I remember being in band class. We had a TV in the room, and they were showing the footage, and I was like, everybody was freaking out, like, teachers were crying, and I was like, what is the big deal? Like, I know I'm supposed to feel something, but I don't know what it is. Right, yeah, because I didn't understand the the greater, like, implications of everything. I just thought... The magnitude of it. Yeah, like, I I understood a plane has crashed. That's really sad. Of course it is. I just had no idea what it meant. Yeah, I didn't... even for a couple years after that, I still don't think I really understood because I didn't, we didn't feel anything. No, we were know? so far removed from yeah. it. And I think, yeah, I, I knew that it was a tragedy because so many people had died, but mm-hmm. the intention behind it right. didn't hit home for a long, long time for yeah. me. Yeah, yeah. And it's we just... never like traveled and got on a plane ever. So no, we, yeah, none of that. Even like that ripple effect, it didn't even affect us. that way so yeah but then like you know after we graduated high school I mean how many people several people that I graduated with died over there Mm -hmm. like it's awful it's just you start to see that ripple effect well yeah and I've got guests that they knew people who were in the world trade center and died that day oh my gosh that's so sad it's awful yeah and then all the firefighters the first responder all these people like Yeah. And we're still feeling the effects of that. It's just crazy to because I know we have some listeners that maybe were way too young to remember it or maybe not even alive then. I don't know. But it's weird to have experienced something like that, but have been so young to not really understand. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Keep going. I'm sorry. 
On July 28, 2003, Zach was promoted to sergeant, but he received bad news that Lana had been diagnosed with hepatitis C, and she was so sick that she couldn't take care of herself or the kids. So he requested to stay on base so that he could care for her and the kids, but the Army denied his request, so he had to stay in Baghdad. And he just sunk deeper and deeper into depression over being separated by his family, over all the things that he was seeing. He apparently had befriended a young boy there, and then he saw this young boy and his family get killed in a mortar attack. Oh so he he was having a hard time, and he'd lost, you know, friends in his company. Like, there was just a lot going on. It's, that's like, a lot to handle. was lost. There. Yeah. And when he finally got back to his family on base and later, uh, later on in 2003, Lana noticed he was completely different. He, instead of being that, like, happy-go-lucky kind of guy, he was quiet and distant. He had that once, like, bright personality. It had completely faded out. He was a shell of a person. He was gone. Lana eventually recovered from her illness, but Zach never did from the war. Like, he just never was the same person. It's got to be so awful on so many levels, but as the wife, being seeing the person that you fell in love with be stripped away to a shell of a person and it's nobody's fault it just happens and there's nothing that you can necessarily do about it but it's osama bin laden's fault well of course it is and you know who else saddam hussein's saddam's that's who's (laughs) fault it is yes yes well it's all their fault yeah um and you know what toby keith is the only the only hope that we have because he'll put a boot in your ass. It's the American way. <laughs> but it is, I mean, gosh, you're powerless to stop this. Yeah, yeah. And you sign up for the good and the bad, but you never think it would get this bad. And Right, yeah. And you want to be able to think that, like, I think as the spouse of somebody who's, you know, been in a war situation, I think you want to be able to, like, comfort them and help them through it and all that kind of stuff. And... I'm sure there's feelings of like, we're not enough to pull him out of this. We're not enough to make him happy. That's not what it is. It's just undiagnosed mental trauma at this point or untreated mental trauma. Like, that's a conversation for a whole other day, but we certainly do not do enough for war veterans, like, to to get them help after. <laughs> what they they put their lives on the line and many lose their lives and then what they've got to live with. Every day yeah, in their minds. Yeah, can't even understand. Yeah. Zach, at this point, though, wanted to get out of the military. He didn't want to be part of it anymore. So what he did was he had been purposely failing PT tests and ended up being dishonorably discharged. Yikes. But he lied to his family about what happened. So the dishonorable discharge meant that he no longer qualified for the education benefits after his term. Or his service. So when Lana found out that he'd been dishonorably discharged. Yeah. And lying about how it happened, she was furious because, you know, she's like, the whole point of you being in the army was to provide a better life for our family. And now we're not going to get that because you lied. I mean, I'm sure she understood he didn't want to be in it anymore, but just the process of it. Well, 
she wasn't real happy with. Yeah. I mean, as a married couple, you have to be a team. And I'm sure, again, she maybe felt a little right. betrayed and kind of on that ledge all by herself. And Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because it's not the first time he's lied to her about something pretty major. Um, in 2004, she was unable to continue living with the man that she no longer knew, and she filed for divorce. They both moved back to New Orleans together, but Lana wasn't interested in reconciling the relationship. They had not officially divorced, and she let him continue living with her just as an arrangement that was easier for the kids until they worked something else out, I guess. And during that time, Zach was between jobs because he'd left the army, but he wasn't working yet. Lana was working, so he stayed home with the kids. In 2005, he started bartending again at a place called Hogs Bar, and that's where he met Addie Hall. So Addie was a free spirit. She was a dancer, a seamstress, a poet, and Zach was immediately drawn to her. And she was like, she had this like bohemian, just like free style. That's what I'm imagining based on your description of her. Yeah, yeah. She's just like like Phoebe from Friends, like just like, yeah. you know, kind of floats into a room. Yeah, exactly. She like marched to the beat of her own drum. She was like 100% herself. Like, mm-hmm. and that's a super magnetic yeah. quality, you know? Exactly. Um, She was also not a native of New Orleans. She was born in North Carolina and raised by her Vietnam veteran father and a stay-at-home mother. She dropped out of high school to travel around the country for a while, but then she went back to North Carolina to teach salsa and ballroom dancing. Wow. Like, how cool is that? I know, right? Yeah. And to be, for you to say, like, oh, yeah, I'm a poet and a seamstress and a dancer and a, you know? Yeah. But it seems like New Orleans is a lot like Nashville in the fact that you, it's hard to find somebody that's a native. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Because we talk about that all the time where we're like, oh, wow, they're actually from here. Yeah, exactly. Well, and that's a place, too, like um, everybody. So one of the things that I watched was I'll call it a documentary, I guess, but it's, you know, it was like an hour long episode or whatever. The series is called Final Witness, and this was episode 107, and the name of the episode is Graveyard Love. And I'll have a link in the episode description if anybody wants to watch it. I watched it on Vimeo. Um but they, you know, they talked to people that knew them and all this kind of stuff. But they were talking about how New Orleans is one of those places where, like, you you can go there and you can find somebody to fit in with no matter what kind of a person you are. It's not like you've got to go there and be this corporate. Yeah. Whatever. And I feel like that's, I mean, I don't know, that's what they say about Louisville, like, keep Louisville weird. You know what I mean? Like I've never heard that. You've never heard that? Okay. Well, it's a thing. Oh. Um, they have like stickers huh. for it. Yeah. Because my well, Breck, you guys know Breck if you're on the Patreon. Uh, but we went one time and it was very, very fun. But it's yeah, it's like keep Louisville weird. Oh, that but, sounds like a place I'd like to be. Right. I mean, because there's somebody for whatever kind of weird you bring. Yeah. So you could talk about serial killers and not not be shunned if you find Maybe. the right people. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Um. That's funny. Yeah. So, yeah, they just said it was like it's a place that you're going to find somebody to fit in with no matter what. Mm-hmm. And she moved there in 2002 and she quickly made friends. She was described as a hard worker who worked multiple jobs to make ends meet. She was incredibly smart and super creative. She loved fashion. She loved poetry. And she had a dark sense of humor that everybody around her loved. She 
was described by people that worked with her as kind of like a take charge kind of woman. She was a favorite bartender of the patrons at the bars that she worked at. And she wasn't afraid to just be herself no matter where she was, like work, meeting new people, whatever it was. Like she would walk in and just like get on the bar and do, you know, she would dance, she would serve people, like whatever she was going to do. She wasn't, she wasn't one of those people that like walked into a new job and was like, okay, like, what do you want me to do here? <laughs> like, wh- how would you like for me to do this? She was just like, this is how I do things. Yeah. And everybody loved it. Um, I wish I could be more like that. I know. I know. Yeah, me too. Interestingly enough, one of the people in that documentary that they talked to a lot about Addie, who was close friends with her, is Margaret Sanchez. Do you remember her from the Jaron Lockhart case? Margaret was the girlfriend of Terry Speaks, and they both murdered and dismembered Jaron Lockhart in New Orleans. That Margaret Sanchez. Oh. Uh Uh-huh. So I remember her now. Uh huh. So this case happened in 06, and Margaret goes on to kill Jaron Lockhart with her boyfriend in 2012. And between that time is when this documentary happened. So she's talking about Addie, talking about Zach because she's friends with them, knowing that there's been a murder of somebody that she cares about. And then she goes on to brutally murder and dismember somebody with her boyfriend like so huh i have feelings but i don't i'm gonna need to process those yeah it's eerie watching her because it's like well yeah knowing what you know yeah exactly yeah yeah it's crazy but she talked about how addy had a dark side so she was the super magnetic person um but People very close to her. Now, Addie was not a person who talked about personal issues with a lot of people. You had to be really close to her for her to let you in to that kind of stuff. She had a lot of friends, but... Surface level friends, maybe. Yeah, she was... Lighthearted. She was, yeah, very careful about who she let in and in close circle. to her. Yeah. Um, Margaret says they were like best friends and all this stuff. You know, I mean, well, she seemed to know a lot about her, but... Maybe I kind of take everything Margaret says with a grain of salt. Right. And I mean, obviously, we know that Margaret had quite a dark side as well. Exactly. Um, but she did say that Addie would become really abusive when she drank heavily. And sometimes she would be really moody and confrontational. And her dark side, she said, intensified when she started spending time with drug dealers and she started doing more drugs herself. And she was supposed to be taking lithium for her bipolar disorder. Well, and they say, and this is, I don't know, I'm not a, an expert on this, but from what I've heard, that it's very common for someone who is always happy all the time, like outwardly, they're hiding something on the inside, right? I mean, there's something deeper. Yeah, I mean, in, look at Robin Williams. I know, you right? You know, like everybody couldn't believe what happened but ever your humans experience a wide range of emotions you cannot everything can't be perfect all the time there's everybody has pain that they go through yeah yeah and, and you got to check in with your always happy friends cuz something's right yeah and for people who have a hard time getting close to people you know, they're not going to have that outlet necessarily to talk about things or just really process stuff. It's like Sia's chandelier. Mm. Do you know? 
like party girls don't get hurt oh do you know the song i know the song but i didn't know specifically which lyric you were referencing <laughs> well the whole song it's like she's like i'm gonna swing from the chandelier i'm gonna live like tomorrow doesn't exist like you got to keep that high going right. otherwise you have to deal with whatever emotion you're actually feeling that's a really accurate representation of this entire case right i would say yeah see you yeah yeah because that's what that's what zach and addy did they partied they drank they did drugs they didn't want to accept or face the responsibility of real life and those kind of things and margaret said that Addie, another thing that a lot of people didn't know about Addie was that she had been sexually abused as a child and and physically abused, I believe, too. But as it goes with that kind of thing, a lot of times that cycle of abuse continued in a couple ways. She was abusive when she was drinking. Right. But also she was drawn to men who were abusive to her. She, she tended to pick men that were that didn't treat her right that abused her and I think she got to the point where she just had her guard up all the time and when she met Zach she she didn't want to let him in like he liked her immediately he wanted to date her immediately she for from all accounts kind of hated him like really pushed him away really pushed him away um it, it got to the point where it became like this flirty kind of pushing away like being hard on him kind of thing and it it turned obviously into more because they got together but at first it's like she wasn't having it type of like yeah 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 and actually margaret said that she she wanted to push the boy down in the play yard kind of thing that's what she did with zach and they also said you know so she's a bartender right so she'd get up and like dance on the bar and like you know whatever she put on a show for people maybe i don't know well she's a super good dancer too so Man, I wish I knew how to dance. But anyway, so... Um, Enough drinks and you might know how. <laughs> well, I've done it. <laughs> I stopped you. <laughs> never want to see what that looked like. Thank God we were in a time of digital cameras and... Yeah, and phones. not smartphones. Yeah, exactly. Because there's... Oh, my God. Could Thank God. Exactly. Um, But there were times... Now, in the in the final witness thing... Okay. I'll say this about final witness, too. It's really good. It's really well made. So because at the beginning, they said, you know, this story is based on true events or whatever. And we've hired based on the facts of the case, we've hired actors to reenact some things. And I was like, oh, great. Right. We've seen our fair share of the worst of those. It was so good. I mean, it was really well done. The actors were great. It it was really well done. I was impressed considering when you see that you get disappointed because you're like, can't you just do like snap style where it's like you don't see their faces and it's kind of blurry and whatever, but they did a great job with it. It wasn't overly done. It was just really well done. Like That's great. Yeah. There weren't any foghorn leghorn <laughs> accents. <laughs> right. Exactly. Okay. okay. Yeah, it was really well done. But there was one scene that they reenacted uh, at one of the bars that she worked at where she was um, getting up on the bar and she was dancing and a guy went to touch her, like grab her leg or something, and she like kicked him. Kicked him. And good for her. Uh, yeah. Good uh, that's what I'm saying. And they were like, um, you know, she could be really aggressive, but they said she would she would act out physically like that, even if she thought a guy was like looking at her too long. Um, 
the people that worked with her described it as overly aggressive at times. Mm-hmm. So, and I do think she drank on the job. So that probably well, heightened that for her. That's a really dangerous profession if you don't need to be drinking overly, you know, like yeah, if, yeah. if you have a drinking excess, problem. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I, on one hand, you're like, well, she needs to be able to take up for herself. Like, right. I mean, I'm not mad at her. Yeah. If you're, if somebody's crossing a line or a boundary, you need to mm-hmm. protect yourself for sure. Absolutely. So she was definitely a person who was not afraid to protect herself. But she sounds like, now I watch Coyote Ugly at least once a week because of who I am as a person again. Sure, sure. There's one girl in that movie that, like, went to jail for cutting off some guy's ponytail. You know what I mean? Like, that sounds like Addie a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you look at her, five seconds, great. Seven seconds, you're fucking done. Exactly. <laughs> like, yeah. And, th- and that's kind of how they talked about it. They were like, there were definitely times where nothing was happening. And she was perceiving probably something more. Right. Um, But she just, she had that temper. Yeah. You know, they were describing a temper. Yeah. Yeah. So in July of 2005, Zach and Addie finally started dating. Addie finally started warming up to Zach. They're, you know, finally getting the like flirty situation going on. And she's like, okay. Man, Zach really hung in there. (laughs) Well, I guess it seems like a long time. This is like a few weeks. Oh. To maybe a month. Still, though, I mean. But he did. Yeah. He could have given up. Sure. When they started dating, though, Zach called his mom, Lori, and he was like, I found my soulmate. This is it for me. And he was like, we're completely in the honeymoon phase. Like, I know that, but I know this is it for me. Like, this is who I want to be with. And it was the next month, though. So this is July of 2005. They start dating. August of 2005, Hurricane Katrina hits. And they live in the French Quarter. So Lana wanted Zach to stay with her and the kids. Obvi. They're still in North. Or where are they? North- They're in New Orleans, too. New Orleans, though? Okay. It's, yeah, somewhere in New Orleans. Um, And he was in the French Quarter, but he said he couldn't leave Addie. And so he was like, y'all be fine. You'll figure it out. Wow. And he ended up staying with Addie in her apartment to ride out the storm. And um, that's, uh, that's where we're going to stop today. Ugh, cliffhanger. I know, <laughs> I know. Because at, after the storm is where it I mean some really... metaphors here metaphor <laughs> what's a metaphor <laughs> I think I combined metaphor and storm oh metastorms <laughs> are happening <laughs> but because it's like the storm hits but then the storm hits you know what I'm oh, saying oh well, I see what you mean mm-hmm. um pun intended exactly I gotcha yeah so we'll find out in the next episode what happened to Zach what happened to Addie where did she go? Okay. And uh, all those things. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for putting up with our rambling and yeah. shooting the shit. Um, and hopefully we'll catch you on the next episode. Yeah. And if you want early access to part two, join the Patreon. You'll get it before everybody else does. Again, it's lit, fam. <laughs> no to mean, Jelly Bean. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> Thank you so much. We'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.